Uh, this morning we'll be finishing up Galatians chapter 3, and so we'll be in 3, uh, 19 uh, to 29. So Galatians 3, 19 to 29. Uh, this is the inerrant Word of God. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would have indeed been by the law. But Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be, might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this magnificent text. Lord, I pray that you would help me preach by your Holy Spirit, that I would be self-forgetful, that I would not be me, but your Spirit speaking through me, and that your Spirit also would explain it to them as you are in them and in I. Lord, we need your help, and so we commit this time to you and ask your aid. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. I have a question for you. Do you feel like our country is divided? I know that's not too, not too controversial of a question. Racially or politically, and basically any line that anyone could draw, we're probably divided about it. That's my sense. And it feels like the, the division is growing between two sides of basically every issue. I don't know if you have that same sense. Sadly, church splits are a regular reality, so it's not just um, it's culture, but also even churches are not immune from this. But you know what? It's not actually a uniquely American phenomenon. If we're going to zoom out to the whole world, the whole world has this problem. Uh, India has the caste system. Uh, Pew Research did research about it. They said basically for the past 3,000 years, there's been some form of the caste system, and it still exists today. It's a major impact on India and their culture. South Africa continues to have major issues with racism. According to the BBC News article from January 21, if you, let's go back. Instead of looking around the world, let's go back through history. Uh, for the teenagers, if you studied the Middle Ages, you know about landowners and peasants? Was there any division between them? Absolutely. Well, let's go back all the way to Old Testament Israel. Did Old Testament Israel have any divisions? Actually, it was commanded by the Old Testament. Well, all those other divisions we thought were kind of bad, but what about this one? Did you know the Old Testament told them that they were to never marry a foreigner? They were to never eat foreign food. It was unclean. Probably heard of kosher food. Everyone's heard of that. 
Don't even have them at your dinner table. That sounds like a divide, huh? Now, is this racism? Generally, we think it's a bad thing to be divided. What's going on? Well, to quote Martin Luther King Jr., he said 60 years ago this year, in his famous speech, he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by what? The content of their character. I have a dream today, he said. You see, the surrounding nations around Israel were being judged not by their nationality, but by the content of their character. They were extremely wicked nations. They practiced child sacrifice and all kind of other unnameable evils. They were very, very evil nations. And so God said to Israel, I am holy, not me. God is holy. And he said, you people, the Israelites, need to be holy like him. So therefore, don't go get all entangled with what's going on around you. Does that make sense? So there was this a holy separation. Okay, we aren't in Old Testament Israel. What difference does all this make now? We're on the other side of the cross. And so look, look at page seven, you'll see the outline. This is what we're looking at this morning. Does Christ make any difference in our divisive world? So look, look at the, and we'll look at this in the passage. The answer to question, what are the implications of the distinct purposes of law and the gospel? So one, the law is our guardian. Two, Christ sets us free from the law. And three, there are now no divisions. Okay, so just Set your expectations. I have one really long point and two short points for any of you that watch the clock. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the law is a guardian. All right, look at verse 19. We're just going to walk through verse 19. And the first line says, the first words say, why then the law? Okay, so now I'm going to rewind. As I said at the beginning of the service, let's talk about last week. Why is he starting with why then the law? Well, last week we looked at the covenant with Abraham. And we said, oh, it's so great. So much better. It's unconditional. It's never changing. If you remember all that, the, all the animals cut in half. right? Just everything is better about the covenant of Abraham. Abraham didn't have to walk between. It was just God making all the promises. Then we said, the law came how much after? Remember? 430 years. I see some, yep, you got it. 430 years. That's a long time. So remember we talked about wills, people have wills, last will and testament, you know, and 430 years later, you can't edit it, you can't change it, you can't annul it. Remember we talked about that. And so after all this, the natural question is, you know, we obviously love Abrahamic covenant now, what do we need the law for? Okay, that's the natural question that the passage is raised. So that's how we, where we get to where we're now. So Paul says, why then the law? Now he's going to answer it. Look at 19, continuing. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. What in the world does he mean? He says it a little bit differently, but same idea in Romans 7, 7. Paul says, as he's wrestling with his own flesh, he says, if, if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Let me illustrate this. Imagine you have a two-year-old. For some of you, that's not imagination. Imagine you have a two-year-old. Right, did you, that child has been rebellious long before they could speak, right? But then you say those glorious, important two letters, no. You'd say, and you now have a law. There's now a boundary. You've told the two-year-old no. Okay, now, they, now you know you have a rebellious child because what do they do? They look at you 
and they defiantly grab whatever they want, right? Don't they do that? They've now, there's a law, and you absolutely know there's rebellion. The same it is with God's law. We would not have known what law was until, or that what sin was until God said, here's the boundaries, and then we all step over them. We say, now we know we're all in sin. Uh, think of a mirror. Um, kids, imagine, okay, you've been playing outside, you come inside, mom says, go look in the mirror. You go look in the mirror, and you have dirt all over your face. She says, wash up. The trouble is, you look, there's no soap, and your hands are covered in mud. How's this going to go? Not very well, right? Now, were you more or less dirty before the mirror? Well, in one sense, yes and no, right? You, were, you didn't change how dirty you were, you just understood it, right? Now, when you looked in the mirror, you said, oh, my face is covered in dirt. The same it is with the law of God. And we've talked about this when we went through the Ten Commandments, right? The uses of the law. One of the uses is as a mirror. So when you look in the mirror, you see, oh, and we did this. We, you might remember, week after week, each commandment, we all saw, oh, look, I, bra- I broke this one too, and this one too, and, right? We're looking in the mirror, we see dirt. But our hands are dirty, you can't clean yourself. Okay, so this is what he's saying. is because of transgressions. It is to be used as a mirror. Look at the rest of verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgression until the offspring. Now, again, testing your memory. Last week, we talked about the singular versus the plural word offspring. And he said, I think it was verse maybe 16, said uh, it's referring to Christ. So you can insert Christ there. Until Christ should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels. Well, that's interesting. They're an intermediary. Did you know that the law came to Moses with angels? If you read um, Exodus 19, you wouldn't see that because it's not there. But other places in the Bible, it tells us this. So uh, one place, Stephen, right before he stoned, he thought it would be a good time. He gave the history of Israel in his sermon. And when he hits Moses, you know what he says? This is Acts 7.53. That, that Moses received the law as delivered by angels. Interesting little fact there. You also find this in Deuteronomy uh, 20, no, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 33.2, Hebrews 2.2. So we aren't exactly sure how they're involved, but they were there. And, and Scripture tells us. Okay, so that's what he's saying. But then he says intermediary. Kids, do you use that word regularly? I can barely say it. <laughs> intermediary. Uh, you could think of middleman. So um, adults, you have this experience. You call, you're trying to get a hold of somebody, and you're talking to their administrative assistant. And they won't let you talk to the actual person. You know, could I please just speak to well, let me take it. He's not available. He's busy right now. He's in a meeting. Really? Right? And so there's a middleman, right? And so you want, and so is it better to have a middleman or not? Of course, better not. So in the Abrahamic covenant, look, the, the passage goes on. He says, verse 20, now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. With Abraham, it was just God and Abraham. With Moses, the law came to Moses from God with angels, and then he brought it down the mountain, and so Moses was the man between God and the people, right? And so the Hebrews is going to say that Jesus is now the only me- the, uh, mediator we have, right? So there's no one between us. Okay, so this is what Paul is going through. Uh, he's talking about why it's important, but also um, why it's still, still the gospel is better. Now look at verse uh, 21. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Right, so are they in like competition Right, is, is what he's asking. Well, how's he answer it? Certainly not. This is very strong Greek, almost as strong as he'd say it. Why is he so emphatic? No, they're not in, in, in competition. 
Look at the rest of verse 21. For if the law had been given that it could give life, then righteousness would have indeed been by the law. Implication, the life was not, or I'm sorry, the law was not given to give life. You, no one finds life, no one, no one finds cleanliness through a mirror, right? A mirror just shows you what you look like, right? The law never perfected anyone. We just saw that we're all dirty. Anyone ever used a screwdriver as a hammer? You can kind of get the job done, but not very good, and you probably break the screwdriver, right? So screwdrivers and hammers were both made with different purposes, right? They have functions. Both have, have uses. You, they aren't reversible, though. So it is with the law and the gospel. The law has a purpose. It's just different than the gospel. They're in, in contrast. They're in competition with each other. That's Paul's point here. All right, look at verse 22. But the scripture, all right, now, kids, if you like circling words or adults, find all the negative words about the law. Um, it's going to go from 22 on. But the scripture imprisoned, that sounds pretty negative. All right, imprisoned everything under sin so the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Okay, so we were imprisoned. What I want you to see here is the continuity of scripture. Let me just give you a really, really high-level uh, timeline of the Bible. You have Abraham. We've already looked at that. That was last week. Abraham, it was great. It was glorious, unconditional. Then 430 years later comes the law. The law stays in effect all the way until Christ. Okay, what I'm talking about is redemptive history, the unfolding story of God's plan of redeeming humanity. Okay? Let's look at the next verse, and we'll keep kind of explaining this out. Verse 23, now before faith came, so in this period between these two, before Jesus came, we were held captive, okay, that's pretty negative, under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. This period's not sounding pretty exciting, is it? Right? But from Abraham to Jesus, Jesus and Abraham imprisoned. Uh, we, we talked about this in, in previous passages about being slaves. Um, is another analogy he uses. But then he adds another word in verse uh, 20. Look at 24. Uh, he says, uh, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we, may, we might be justified by faith. Okay, we don't have guardians like this. They would actually be a slave whose job it was to beat the children. Okay, That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. Their job was to discipline the children. Sometimes they would be like in a school and like hit all the children who weren't paying attention or punish the children in homes. The parents must have been too busy to deal with their own children. I don't recommend this. Discipline your own children. Don't hire someone else to do it. But this is what a guardian did. And so what's he using this analogy? He's saying that the law was like that, that the law was a guardian, that between Abraham all the way up to Christ, it was a guardian. It was teaching people what right and wrong was, and that they all were failing. So how do we apply this? Okay, we've said this many times, but it, it's worth repeating that if you're trying to please God and have a relationship with him by keeping all the rules, stop. One word, stop. Like, stop using a screwdriver as a hammer. The law was not intended the law was not intended to save you. Your good life will not get you to heaven. 
You'll definitely get that by the end of Galatians, right? That's a theme. It's just every, so we just have to say it. But is there any other application? If you have kids, I want to apply this to you. Do you want your children to be saved? Yes, I see some head nods. Good. What is your plan to do so? Of course, you can't save them, but what's your plan to help? What's your plan to help your kids be saved? To place their faith in Christ. Now, think about that for a second. Now, hopefully many of you thought of, well, I want to share the gospel with them. That is a very good answer. You should share the gospel with your children. Absolutely true. This passage is pleading with you to add something else before that. What comes before that? Let's talk about it. When you're teaching your children, should you explain to them the horizontal aspect of their sin? Johnny, when you were disrespectful to daddy, that hurts daddy. That's fine. Um, Johnny, when you hit your brother, that hurts your brother. That's okay too. This is horizontal, right? Our actions have impact on other people. That's a fine lesson your kids need to learn, right? There's another important one, a vertical aspect. Johnny, you're breaking God's law. You see how that's a little different, right? Yes, our sins affect each other, but how are you going to explain that? If you're here in the spring, you learn the Ten Commandments together. I encourage you to review them with your children. They should easily know them. We have all kind of easy ways to remember them. If you weren't here then, we have fun little guys that will help. Just let me know or Lori know, and we'll get you kids' stuff. They need to know that. So what you can say to Johnny, Johnny, do you, do you know what the Sixth Commandment says? Sixth Commandment says, do not murder. Johnny, Jesus said that murder starts with anger. Johnny, it's pretty obvious you're angry. You're breaking the Sixth Commandment. Johnny, also, hitting is the beginning of murder. You're breaking the Sixth Commandment. You're breaking God's law. Johnny, you're sinning against God. You need to pray and ask God to forgive you. Do you see, you're bringing a vertical aspect. You see, it's not just for Old Testament Israel. You need to tutor your children just like God did with Israel for a really long time. The law is given as a mirror. Your kids need before the soil. Every farmer knows this, right? You plow the field before you sow the seed, right? And what you're doing is you're preparing their hearts to receive the seed of the gospel, that then they can respond. This also is true in evangelism, right? Your neighbors, the same thing. They need to understand that they're sinners before they're likely to have any interest in a Savior. So a couple of modern applications. But thankfully, we aren't all left as imprisoned under the law. So that brings us to our second point. In Christ, we are set free from the law. Praise God. Look at verse 24 and 25. So you're not left with a guardian beating you. Let's look, 24 and 25. So it says, So then, the law was our guardian until when? Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now the faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. Okay, imagine the original audience, the Galatians. How does this land on them? Remember the Judaizers, what are they trying to do? The Judaizers are trying to convince them, you need to add to your faith the law. And so what's Paul saying? saying, do you really want to go back and add a, a guardian? Do you really want someone following around beating you? And that's really going to, that's going to get you to heaven? No. You, you've graduated out of that. You're now under Christ. Do you see the logic of what he's saying? This would hopefully land on them and they'd realize like, oh, I see the implications of what they're trying to do. 
verse 23, held captive under law, imprisoned until the coming faith. All those negative words, Paul is trying to help them see. Verse 25, now that faith has come, you, we no longer are under guarding. You no longer need the law. Because even as Christians, we're still tempted to go back to it, right? We don't want to be a slave again. Now, when he said um, the law, last week I said, we talked about the Ten Commandments. Is the law and the Ten Commandments synonymous? Yes and no. Uh, the Ten Commandments is a great summary of the law, but it's not the whole thing. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, actually would be the whole law. There's also some history in there, but you have Leviticus, and you have all the cleanliness laws. You have ceremonial laws. You also have the sacrificial system. So God gave to Israel. So from between Abraham all the way up to Jesus, they had a sacrificial system. <clears throat> Kids, this, this is kind of sad and gross, but they would each year, they'd go and take place symbolically place their sins on an animal, and the animal would be killed to represent, instead of them, in, in their place, okay? And so they did this, and in the sacrificial system, it tutored them from Abraham all the way up that we just, we can't clean ourselves, right? We need someone else. So it'd be like, kids, your hands are all muddy, and so mom comes in and says, here, let me help you. Let me wipe up your face, right? We need someone else to take our sins. We, we can't do this. They learned that lesson for thousands of years. So understand, it's the whole law. There's a whole system. Part of my goal this morning is that there are many Christians who never venture out of the New Testament. If you look at your Bible, how much of it is the New Testament? Like this much. How much is the Old Testament? It's a little exaggeration. Not by much. Most of your Bible is the Old Testament. Do you read the Old Testament in your devotions? One of the reasons people don't is because it's scary and it's disorienting. They're like, what in the world is this? I don't know if you've ever been in an amusement park and you get lost, and there's this handy map. And what does it have? It has a little red dot and says, you are here. Best dot in the world. And you get the picture. You're like, oh, I see where I am. And I, kids, I see where the roller coaster I'm trying to get to is, right? But this, in the Bible, you need to have your bearings. You need to understand when you're looking at Old Testament law, you're looking at a tutor, a guardian that came between Abraham and Christ. Oh, I'm really glad I'm not under this. Anymore, but I see how this points to the, the purity, the holiness that Christ fulfilled. Okay, so this is important to understand. Look, the passage goes on. 26. I love this. Look at this. For in Christ Jesus you are what? You are all sons of God. This is talking about the theology of adoption. I'm not going to steal the thunder from next week. But this next passage is going to talk a whole lot about this. And actually from the whole retreat, so if you go on the retreat, you're going to get all kind of good stuff about this. But it's a glorious, glorious, glorious theology that we are the children of God. We are not orphans. That's all I'm going to say about it. Do not steal the thunder from next week. It's really great though. We are sons of God. Okay, look, it goes on. So, We've looked at these two realities, right? The law is our guardian. Christ has set us free from it. We're not under the guardian. Then what are the implications? This is our third point of where Paul goes in the end. Okay, look at verse 27. <clears throat> 27 says, For as many of you as are, were baptized into Christ. Pause there. Okay, you're, you're a... Um, a Gentile in the Galatian church, how does this land on you? 
So he says, all who are baptized into Christ. We, we look around each other, and we say, that's all of us. Okay? So they all look at each other, like, it's all of us. So he says, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What does that mean, to put on Christ? We talked to some similar thoughts in Sunday school this morning. But put on Christ. When I was little, my kids used to like to not a, 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 um, a fleece with the sleeves on it. They would stick themselves inside it. Their arms would go inside here and then zip it up and they would disappear except for the little legs dangling out, right? And so they're kind of putting on daddy, right? Is that a little bit? To put on Christ. We're hidden in Christ. It's our new identity. It's our new righteousness. It's not just something we receive in the mail like a gift, a righteousness you receive as a gift. It's actually that language. He's speaking of our union with Christ in very strong language that we're actually putting on Christ. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We put on Christ. So what are the implications of that fact for the Galatians? What's the implication for us today? Paul's going to answer this in the next two verses. Look at how he concludes our passage, 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one. For you are, yeah, for you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. There's a, a Table Talk article about this verse from 2019. It said this about this verse. By virtue of our union with Christ, we are joint partakers of Christ's benefit. No distinction, no superiority, no advantage over another. I think it's a good summary. So what benefits do we get? If you were to look at these, the last verses in this, what benefits do you get from, your, from being a Christian? Well, we, it's, we saw adoption in Christ our union with Christ, our unity in Christ, which is what this verse is talking about, 28, and then 29, our inheritance in Christ. That's a lot of stuff that we get. I want to pause for a moment and tell you the story of the 2008 men's U.S. Olympic basketball team. Anyone know that story? The 2008 men's, well, let me tell you about before this. For three Olympics, a 92 to 2000, uh, U.S. won the gold medal for men's basketball. So the 2004 team shows up. What are they assuming? They're going to win the gold medal. They walk home with a bronze medal. It was a big disappointment because you put a bunch of hot shots together and you don't necessarily have a team. You just have a bunch of hot shots. And it didn't go so well. So you get to 2008. And America had a, a job ahead of them. And so and you think about the experience. If you... I mean, I know you could all relate and imagine being an NBA player. But imagine you're playing for a team. You always wear your team jersey. You have identify with your team, with LA Lakers, whoever you play for. And then all of a sudden, now you're supposed to put on a new jersey that says U.S., your U.S. Olympic team, right? And so the coach had a lot of work to do to get a bunch of new hot shots to act like a team, actually to play together. Isn't this what it's like to be a Christian? Isn't that what it's like to be a Christian? That now we have no other allegiance. There's nothing else that any claim to fame we have or claim to shame. You're now wearing a U.S. Olympic jersey. You're part of Team Christ. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's what Paul is saying. Look, isn't, look at verse 28. 
He's saying every other distinction. People say, hey, I'm a Jew. Hey, I'm a Greek. Hey, I'm a slave. I'm free. Hey, I'm male. I'm female. All those things that we identify with, we're now all on one team. I think it's a, a powerful picture in verse 28. Now, of course, this, is, this verse has been misused. Well, before it's been misused, let me clarify. Think about the Galatians, right? The Judaizers are not on the same team, are they? They're saying to the, to the Gentiles, hey, you need to be like us. They aren't realizing that they're actually all on the same team. Do you see that from Galatia, the Judaizers? They're saying, we're Jews, you're not. You need to become like us, right? So that's a problem. Let's talk about how it's been misused for a second. Um, this verse 28 has been used to support all kind of stuff. Um, it's been used to support uh, transgenderism. Is this, is this verse supporting that? What about women being pastors? What about there being no difference between the roles of men and women in marriage? People have used this verse for all kinds of purposes. And you can see how they get that. Well, hey, if we're all one, all those distinctions are gone. Beware of anyone who uses one verse to proclaim any doctrine. We believe that Scripture interprets Scripture, don't we? I hope you believe that. And so this verse doesn't overshadow or take away Ephesians 5. It lays out, husbands, here's what you're supposed to do. Wives, here's what you're supposed to do. Right? It doesn't overshadow uh, 1 Timothy 2.12 about what is the roles for men in the church and women in the church. There's distinction of what God wants them each to do. Does that make sense? So there's scripture. So what is it saying? Think of this. Back to our, our, our U.S. Olympic team. They still had different positions, right? They were all on one team, all were in the same jersey, but they didn't have the exact same role. The same is true with this. This is how you hold these things together. We have different roles, but no one's more important. No man, no woman, no child, no anyone, no race, nothing. You can't say I'm better than someone else in Christ. Does that make sense? The, as is often said, the foot, the ground at the, the foot of the cross is level. Right? No one comes to the cross and can say I'm better than you. Right? We're, all, we're all unworthy sinners. So I, I wanted to clarify that since this verse has been so mangled and misused. I mean, this is a huge thing against racism. I mean, how could you be racist and, and, and read this verse, right? So this is a, that's a proper use of it. You see, the Old Testament was not racist. All the way back at Abraham, we read this several weeks ago. Brandon preached it very capably, mind you, in verse 8. Here's what he said. Well, here's what God said that he preached on. And the scriptures, foreseeing what God that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying what? In you shall all the nations be blessed. He said it to Abraham before the law ever came. In you all the nations will be blessed, all nationalities. We said to wait for Christ to come because all of us, most of us are Gentiles, were evil. We were from those, all those other evil nations that surrounded them. He said, don't mix with them, basically, until Christ comes and starts transforming us. And now there is no, there's no nationality of Christianity, is there? Now we're from all kinds of nations. This absolutely cuts off any, any temptation toward racism. You're probably wondering what happened if you didn't know that 2018, they did learn how to play like a team. And they did go home with the gold. 
My question is, what about you? What about you? Think about the jersey you're wearing. Think about the unity. You know, this prevents, in Christ, right? You can't look at some other church and say, hey, hope we're better than this other Bible-believing church. Not if they're Bible-believing. Right? We're one in Christ. Do you see what Paul is saying? We can't make distinctions to say, hey, I'm better than you because I sin differently than you. Does that make sense? You know, eventually the U.S. Olympic team, they took off their jerseys. And they went back to their old teams. Not you. You will spend eternity, eternity in Christ. You're clothed in Christ. You don't feel it now. Now we still feel our sin. But one day we will in the new heavens and new earth. I hope you see the big picture of redemptive history. And so now you can with confidence read your Old Testament. Like, oh, I get it. This is the guardian period. This is when the the schoolmaster is beating the children because they're disobeying, right? This is looking in the mirror. Oh, I see. I understand where this fits in the big picture. Christ comes, and he now washes us. You have been washed in Christ. The only jersey we should ever wear is that we belong to Christ. Accept no shame, have no pride, for we are all one in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you've given us an identity far better than any Olympic team. Lord, I pray that you would help us all identify more with what Paul is saying. Lord, I pray that verse 28 would sink into my soul and all my brothers and sisters for our good. Lord, thank you for this passage. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.